The husband and wife woke up one Sunday morning and the wife got ready for church. It was just about time for the service when she noticed her husband hadn't moved a finger towards getting dressed. Perplexed, she asked, why aren't you getting ready for church? I said, because I don't want to go. She said, well, do you have any reasons why you don't want to go? So, well, I got three good reasons why I don't want to go. First, the congregation's cold. <laughs> Second, nobody likes me. Third, I just don't want to go. The wife wisely replied, honey, got three reasons why I think you should go. First, the congregation is warm. <clears throat> Second, there are a few people there who like you. And third, you're the pastor, so get dressed. <laughs> we all laugh, but we know that sometimes it's hard to get out of bed, right? It's even harder to get dressed. It's even harder to get in the car and come sometimes. It's just hard on some mornings. And so as we come to our third week of our Be the Church series, we examine an idea that is of the utmost importance in this day and age. Uh, it's one verse really in the book of Hebrews, but there's a lot of things that hang on it there. Um, as, as the writer of Hebrews is talking to, to those Jewish people who were scattered, talking about the nature of the church and how the, the church and Jesus and the covenant he said was greater than the things of the Old Testament, he, he's wrapping things up, he's fixing to talk about faith, and there in chapter 10, he says, I'm going to read two verses, starting in verse 24. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would... Take this time this morning, Father, and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the vessel in the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the fellowship that we have here. We ask that you would move among us this morning. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Now, there are a lot of people in our society who ask, why do you go to church? I've heard the arguments from people who even claim to follow God. They'll say things like, well, I worship at home. Or they'll say, well, it doesn't make me less of a Christian not to go to church. Or they'll say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. The problem is they're absolutely right. All of those statements on, on their face value, they're exactly right. They're true. They're right. But you don't have to wear a parachute to jump out of an airplane. But it sure helps. <laughs> Tony Evans answered the same question, responded to those statements in this way. He said, they're absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married either. But stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. He spoke two weeks ago about... The fact that the church in Acts grew because they met together. They had fellowship. That life for them wasn't just something where they saw each other on a Sunday or they saw each other on a Wednesday. That they lived life together. They had these times where they met, met each other's needs. They visited with each other. They did all the things that they needed to, to feed 
all of the issues that we may have, the things that we need to have in order to take care of ourselves. And so we saw that, and we know that there is, there is value in those, in those things. We know that there's strength in numbers. I mean, Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, if someone overpowers one person, two can resist it. Court of three strands is not easily broken. You know, the Bible tells us over and over again that, that there are strength in numbers. There are reason. Where, when two or more are gathered together, there I am among them. There's, there's, a, there's a reason why when we see these things. I mean, even in nature we see. If you ever watch animal documentaries, you ever do that? Lions and wildebeests or gazelles or whatever else, lions never go and attack and kill the leader of the wildebeest pack. Is it a pack? Herd. There you go. No, they don't go do that. Why? Because they're the fastest. They're the strongest. First, they try to find the one that's straight away. They try to find the one that's not with the group. Because it's so much easier to bring down an antelope or a gazelle or a wildebeest that's not with the group than it is to bring down one that's within the group. Because there's danger within the group. You know, we, we know that, that when, when people come together, when people stand up, we know that together people can accomplish things. And so we know all these truths. There are these truths that we know simply about the, the fact of getting together. Obviously, Meeting together has a value. I don't think anyone denies that, not even those who say, I don't have to be in church. Those people wouldn't even deny that. So why are corporate forms of worship important to the church today? What is it about Sundays or Wednesdays or Monday night Bible study or whatever it is where we come together? Why do we do those things? Why is it important? Well, the first thing is that Jesus established the church. In Matthew 16, 18, Peter has just proclaimed Jesus as Messiah. He has just said, you are the Christ. And, and Jesus says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This rock being his testimony. And the forces of hell will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. We meet together because this body is what Jesus created. Jesus did this. He is the one who created the church. The church was something where we just kind of went, you know, It'd be kind of neat if we came together and just, you know, we had this in common. We might as well get together. We didn't do it that right. A lot of clubs happen that way, right? I mean, almost all the clubs you find out there in the world, it was, well, you know, we all kind of like this same thing. Why don't we have a club and we'll vote somebody president and all that good stuff. And that's how we work. But that's not how this church thing works. The church was established by Jesus. It was something he told us to do. Something that he said, this is, this is my body. This is what I want you to do. Salvation was never meant to be lived out solo. So often we find ourselves in this thought, and that's where people get off on these places of I worship at home, or I don't have to go to church to be a believer, or I'm no less of a Christian. They get off on that because we have spent so much time in America talking about the individual nature of salvation, that we've missed the vital truth of what salvation is. We are saved individually into a community. We are saved not so that just so we can go to heaven, which is how I was sold it a long time ago, the original time. Just say this prayer and you'll go to heaven. 
But there's so much more to it than that. It's accept Jesus and become a part of something bigger than you are. Because the truth is, we were never meant to do this stuff solo. This meeting on Sundays is part of how we meet in community. We're called to be imitators and followers of Christ. So it would follow that we would do the things he did and take part in the things that he created. Jesus, if we watch him in the scriptures, did a couple of things. He would go off by himself and talk to God. But then he would come back together with those that he had called to be part of the group. And he would call them to do that. That's something that we are called to do. We are called to come together to do those things. I mean, there's more to this passage. When you read it, it says what? Verse 19 that I just read says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Well, who does he give that power to? He gives it to the church. He's not giving it to Peter. He's giving it to the church. So there is this church power that is given. Which brings us to number two. The church is how God chooses to function most effectively in this world. So God chooses to function. God, honestly, doesn't need the church. Let that sink in. Doesn't need the church. He chooses to use the church. He wants the church. He wants us to be his hands and feet. Because if God needs the church, suddenly God is not the God that I worship. Because the God that I worship doesn't need anything. But he desires things. He wants things. You know, I, I told you before, that's okay. We all repeat our stories right here, I notice. Um, when Carrie and I got together and we got married, she was fighting mad one day. Because she asked me a question. And she was upset with the answer. That's not a, an uncommon thing. Um, but she asked me about something about why we, why I married her or something like that. And she was upset because I gave a great soliloquy, but I never said I needed her. She's mad. Right? Fighting me. I mean, she pouted all day long. I'm like, what is, what is wrong? Finally, I got to it and I said, no, here's the deal. I don't need you, but I want you, and I chose you. And to me, that means more than needing you. Because if I need something, that means I have no choice in the matter. But the fact that I desire you and I want to be with you means so much more. And all of a sudden, she went, oh. It was different. That's how God is. God doesn't need the church. But he wants the church. He wants us to be his hands and feet. He wants us to function in that way. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 11, it says that he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints and the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed about by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. But speaking truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head of Christ. From him the whole body, 
fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. This is the framework that Jesus personally chose to do his work in the world. How amazing is that? Have you ever given my much thought to the fact that that's what Jesus chose? God chose the church to do that. You know what happens so often in our world? We get bogged down with the work of ministry. I have to fill in the blank. We all get there because we all get overworked and we all get overtired. But then I stop and I think that Jesus chose this. Jesus brought me to this. This is what Jesus wants me to do. The God of all creation who said, let there be light, and there was light, said, I want these people, I want this group to do work in the world. How amazing is that? We are supposed to be the agents of change. The local body of believers must be agents of change in our world. Does he say he gave some to be one? All those things. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, but for a reason. In order to train the saints in the work of ministry. To build up the body of Christ. Church is training. Church is on the job training. Where we're here to do what God's called us to do so that we can build up the body of Christ. The local church and its corporate forms that God has chosen, they move and function in this world as the catalyst for change. If the church doesn't do its job, nothing changes or change occurs in a different direction. Oh. Part of the issue we have in America is for 50 years we've tried to legislate righteousness. And we think that's enough. <laughs> Did you know that I can pass all the laws that I want to make people be holy and it doesn't make them holy? And, and it's <sighs> oh, this is <clears throat> so many of us are one issue voters, right? We have one issue that's our issue, and and if, and if anybody's against that issue, well, I just can't vote for it. Doesn't matter what else is going on. But the truth of the matter is, I cannot legislate morality for anybody else. Because I know for a fact that legislating morality doesn't do anything but make people think, well, that's something I have to. We don't like to be told, there's the cookies on the counter. Don't touch the cookies, right? All of us want to go steal a cookie. We want one of those cookies. We walked in today and there were biscuits, biscuits in the oven and we all went, oh. And even if we didn't need a biscuit, we might have gotten a biscuit, right? I mean, you know, that's the way it works. 
We cannot legislate morality. We cannot do those things like this. We are called to be the body of Christ. And how do we change the world? It's by being in the world, living in the world. It's, it's by being the agents of change. And sometimes that does take a political form, for lack of a better word. It takes being involved in those things. But I can't make it. I always found it strange that we, we, we're good at boycotting things, right? But I honestly don't expect a corporation to be Christian. I don't think a corporation can be Christian according to the definition of the Bible. I mean, a Christian house painters. I never met a Christian house yet. Sometimes we throw that word around, right? Because we know it's going to ring true with somebody. Oh, a Christian house. I'm going to be. No. How about an honest house painter? If you needed a heart surgery, and it was the difference between life and death, and there were two surgeons in the world who would perform it. One was an atheist who spewed all sorts of horrible things, but had done the surgery 5,720 times he can do it with his eyes closed. Or the other guy's a Christian who says, I'm willing to try it. <laughs> Which one are you going to choose? I'm going to pray for the atheist while he opens up my heart. Because I'm not going to be the practice dummy. That's just the way I see it. I mean, you know, God can use the hands of the Christian too, but that guy's experience, and this, I only got one heart. If it was a kidney, I might think something different. But I've only got one heart. And so I'm going to do what I need to do. So we are called to be out there. We're called to be the ones who function. But also, the church provides a shelter in this age. In Matthew 13, we had the parable of the mustard seed. And there, 13, it might be 16. I don't even know. But, he says it's the tiniest of seeds that grows into the largest of plants and the birds make their nests in it. The church is supposed to be sheltered. It's supposed to be a place where, where people can come and find a, a safe place from what's out there. It's supposed to be a place where we can come and we can be vulnerable. That's what I want our church to be. A place where people can come and be vulnerable and still feel safe. Safe in their vulnerability. Knowing that no matter what's happened and no matter what you've done, you're loved. Because Jesus loves you. And we're called to love you. We're called to be a safe place. Inside the church should be a place where we can be safe and we can be vulnerable. But for me, also... I love this one. Christ loves the church. In Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, I'm going to skip the wife part because we talk about that a lot. Wives submit to your husbands. I don't talk about that much. <laughs> but it says, it's so much more important what it says here in chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. 
love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ loves the church. That's part of the reason why we meet together. We want to be a part of what Jesus loves. We want to be a part of all those things. If Jesus loves it, man, I want to be a part of that because I want to know, I want to see. Jesus loves the church. And here's the idea. We make so much of the idea that Jesus loves the individual. Jesus loves me, this I know. The Bible tells me so. But Jesus, I think sometimes we forget that Jesus doesn't just love the individual. Jesus loves the church as a whole. Jesus doesn't just love me or just love Kent or just love Richard, or just love Pappy. Jesus loves all of us together. He loves the church. There is that community aspect. Jesus loves the church. You know, some of us may have a favorite song. You have a favorite song? Uh, we have favorite songs. And you like the song no matter, no matter when you hear it. But sometimes it sounds a little off because something's missing, right? You ever had a favorite song that you absolutely loved and then you heard the live version and you went, oh, that's not the same. Or you love a song that you love, but then somebody else sings it and you go, I still like it, but... Huh. Does anybody here talk about Bruno? Um, we don't talk about Bruno in our house, right? You heard the song? There's that last part of the song where all the voices... Are singing the different parts at the same time. Man, I knew I should have put it out. We should have sang We Don't Talk About Bruno in church today. I should have put it on the video. We don't talk about Bruno. Um, you don't have kids, obviously, but you don't talk about Bruno. Okay, anybody watch Les Miserables? How about that? I'll go that direction. Les Miserables does the same thing. Les Miserables, you have the confrontation scene, and you have Valjean over here, and you have Javert over here. And he's singing his part, and he's singing his part, and they're put on top of each other at the same time. And if one's missing, you're going, it doesn't sound right. I tried to sing it one time. I tried to sing it with a track, and it just doesn't sound right because the other part's not over there, and I don't know what to do with it. When something's missing, it, it, it gets messed up. That's how it is with us. When we say, Jesus loves me, yes, he does, but he loves the church. If one of us is missing, there's something wrong. He doesn't just love me, he doesn't just love Barry. He loves all of us together. And if we miss out on that together, we're missing out on a great big part of the love of Christ. We're missing out on something that he does. Because when it comes together, it's as it should be. You know, some of us in here can take flour and eggs and sugar and vanilla and cocoa and baking powder Butter and bake a cake. And to have butter and bake a cake. But if I put just a plate full of flour in front of you and told you to eat it, you're gonna look at me like I'm crazy because it hadn't all come together yet. But when somebody takes those things and puts them all together, all of a sudden it's something that you love. Unless it's a keto angel food cake, and it's the most horrible dish in the world. <laughs> We tried to make one of those this week. It was bad. <laughs> it was bad. And Charlotte didn't even see it in person. He saw a picture. We fed it to the dog. <laughs> but when those things come together, it's as it should be. And that's how Christ loves the church. Yes, he loves each one of us. 
And I love the fact that I can take flour and make things out of it and it's useful. But I love flour more when it's put together with something and made into what it's supposed to be made into. Christ loves the church, not just individuals, together. But also, finally, the Bible commands it. Do I really need another reason? I could have started with that and stopped, but I wanted to make sure I was up here long enough. <laughs> the Bible commands it. That's it. Do not forsake the assembling together. Don't do it. I mean, it's crazy that the church hasn't changed that much in 2,000 years, obviously. Right? Because Paul Sayer, Hebrews, right? He was saying, I got more room. I'm still running into it. The writer who was just saying, don't neglect gathering together like some are habitually doing. That was 2,000 years ago. He wasn't writing that to the church today. Kind of seems like he was. Sometimes doesn't it? But that's what, it hasn't changed much. He commanded us to do this. He commanded us to come together. He commanded us to meet together. He commanded us to be together. He commanded us to do all of these things. And if we're not doing all of these things, we're falling short of the commandment. Now that doesn't mean that, oh, we're not going to miss church sometimes. We're all going to miss church sometimes. That's why I love the translation here in the Holman Christian Standard where it says, habitually. Do not, not stay away from worship meetings as some habitually do. Don't make it be a habit. Don't let it become a habit. Because it's easy to do. I mean, that's easy. You miss the first Sunday and you're like, man, I really miss church. You miss the second Sunday and all of a sudden the laundry's done and the house is kind of clean. And so, hey, that, that wasn't that bad. You miss the third Sunday and you're... By the fourth Sunday, you've got an extra three hours of time and you're thinking, man, I can do that. It's easy. It's easy to get off of that. It's easy to get into that habit. It's easy to fall off. God says to be in church. Simply put, if we're going to be the church, we have to meet together. It's a vital part of our individual faith walk in our ministry to the world. We gather here so that we can be recharged. We're supposed to be recharged while we're here. We're supposed to come in and, man, when you see somebody this week and you're like, oh, yeah, and maybe you get to talking and you get to visit and you get to hug and all of a sudden you're recharged. Man, I needed that. You know how I mean, when, you, when you've been sick or you've been away and you finally get to see somebody, you're like, civilization! It's, that's how it is on Sundays. You get here and you go, I'm being recharged with fellowship. I'm being recharged with relationship. I'm being recharged. And, and hopefully, we're getting trained in Sunday school. And, and, and Sunday morning, we're doing the things we're supposed to do. And we're bringing worship to God. So we're gathering to be recharged, to have fellowship, to be true. So that we can scatter and share Jesus with the world. That's still the mission of the church. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. We, we could try to sit together and put together a mission statement and everything else. I've got our mission statement. It's easy. Go and make disciples. We can all remember that. I bet if I gave you a pop quiz next week and said, what's the mission statement? You would remember, go and make disciples. That's four words. What does that mean? That means that we go and we help other people in their walk with Jesus.
out in a boat. And you saw somebody who was struggling in the water and who couldn't get up. Would you just simply pull them out of the water and just leave them sitting on a dock in the middle of the thing? Probably not. I would hope not. If you would, come see me after church. Um, you'd probably take time to get them the help they need. You would make sure they were taken care of. That's what it means to make disciples. It doesn't mean that we just get somebody to, to stay in prayer and accept Jesus. It means that we pour into their lives. It means we help them along that road that they can become someone who wants to learn and walk with Jesus themselves. That's what it means to make disciples. It's not hard. We act like it's hard. We act like, well, well Troy, I just don't know how. Yeah, you do. Can you love on somebody? Can you call them and say, did you read your Bible today? What'd you read? <coughs> really? That's it? That's it. It's just pouring into somebody's life. It's walking with them. It's showing them that, that there's more to this world than what this world tells them that there is. Did you know it's easier to read the Bible with somebody else than it is to do it by yourself sometimes? Everything in life is so much better with somebody, right? Most of the time. Except for solitude. I guess solitude's not good with somebody. <laughs> but everything else in life is good with somebody else. If I'm reading something, it's better for me to read it and have somebody to discuss it with. Because that way I can remember it and I can hold on to it. If I'm cooking, I want to cook for people. To people to be around, to be a part of it. What people need when they come to know Jesus isn't us preaching at them, isn't us trying to change them, it's just us walking alongside of them, loving on them, and saying, hey, let me walk with you down that path. Took a class five years ago, seminar class, called Dangerous Pastors. It was put on by the uh, association, the Harvest Association up here around um, Jacksboro and stuff like that. And uh, the pastor who baptized me is the DOM. He's the one who was doing it. But the way he did it was he didn't walk in as a teacher. He walked in as a fellow disciple. And we walked it together. And that made all the difference in the world to me. Because I wasn't being lectured. I was being walked with. That's what it means. That's our, that's our job in this world as we're leading the church. It's to go and make disciples. It's to pour into somebody's life. It's just, to, it's just to let them know that they don't walk alone and that, you know, if they're not here, you miss them. Look around today. If somebody's not here, call them this week. Say, I missed you. I just wanted to check on you. I want to make sure you're okay. Because this is a confusing time to figure out what to do, right? I mean, honestly, yeah, let's be honest. Is it five days? Is it 10 days? Is it 14 days? Is it three months? I don't even know anymore. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's confusing. And depending on where you look, you're going to get a different answer. And people are walking through this in our church. Call them. Check on them. See how they are. And maybe they're not going through that. Maybe there's something else going on and we don't even know about it and they need us. Call them. Check on them. That's part of making disciples. It's walking with people through life. 
Maybe this morning, maybe you walked in and went, nobody's here today. And now the sermon's on why we should come to church. you have a job to do. Maybe this morning you've just been struggling this week in this world because this world is just full of struggles. Now's the time just to let it go and say, you know what, I, I can't. See, y'all don't watch Encanto, so all the things going through my head, you know, there's a song in there that I posted on Facebook this week. And uh, see, all the, all the parents of kids in here, they're all going, <laughs> you know, surface pressure. That's the song. That has, been my, that has been my life's song forever. And this week I was driving while listening to it, and I said, okay, God, it's yours. It's yours. There's a, without ruining the movie, you should go watch it. But now I thought we're in the movie. There's one person in there who sings a song who the family is putting all the burdens upon them. And it's a very hard place to be. And this week I said, okay, Jesus, maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been walking around with burdens that you just, that you can't let go of and you think, man, they're just weighing me down. I don't know how to get, now's the time to say, Jesus, the burden is yours. I'm going to trust you to take care of this. I, it's not mine anymore. Maybe this morning you just want to pray. The altar is open and there's plenty of room to pray. Everybody here wants to get saved. Come down and get saved today. Um, if you don't know Jesus, now's the perfect time. Because we're not promised tomorrow. We are promised right now. Whatever your need this morning, whether it's to know Jesus, whether it's to join this church in membership, whether it's to share the missions or ministry, whatever it is, take this time and give it to Him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings.